have to say, Qatar, Doha, specifically the capital city of this state mm -hmm. in which we live, Andy, looking beautiful this morning. And the reason we've included those pictures is because I've been getting uh, um, questions as to why we're not outside yeah. anymore with that beautiful backdrop of the city behind us. And the answer is very simple. It's now getting too warm. Mm. Um, there's also a lot of work going on outside on a, on a building beneath the balcony here. So welcome back to the Grey Lounge. Um, now, Andy made the point earlier this week that it's all doom and gloom at the moment. A lot of it. Uh, uh, yes. So we, we've tried to inject a little bit of enthusiasm and optimism over the last two or three programmes. Today, trust me, you're in for a treat. We are going to share with you a football story, the likes of which <laughs> there has never previously been. A story so good, yeah. it's being considered to be turned into a film. No, it won't be. Why? Well, it's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be turned into a film. It is just, it's the story of a young boy who had a dream, pursued it, couldn't give up on it, achieved everything and more he wanted to, and walked away at the peak of his powers. Why? We'll tell mm. you more mm. uh, shortly. Incidentally, I think this shirt's making me look a little on the large side, don't you? No, you are. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. And that, it's lockdown. that, is, it's lockdown. Bo that is body shaming. Yes, yes. No. You'll be in front of HR. No, no, because I, I think we're, we're all guilty of putting it, on a few is, pounds it, it in the under lockdown. It, it, it's a little large. It's a bit baggy for you. <laughs> yeah. that, that's the only thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit yeah. baggy. And uh, as regards the uh, final housekeeping note, are you playing spot the difference with us? Because mm. there is one specific difference to each mm -hmm. and every programme that we are recording at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, one or two of you are getting close, let me say. Oh, I've got the official number, I think, for the, this number programme there. Yes. Number 28 was Chris Wilder, so that was on Tuesday, wasn't it? Right. 29 Wednesday, yes. 30 yesterday, today, number 31. Do you think anybody really cares about yeah, us? <laughs> Actually, yeah, me. <laughs> Newspapers. Um, do you know, earlier in the week, I was, I was fairly confident we were going to restart. As the days have passed, I am less so. But uh, anyway, let me give you a flavour of what is being said. FIFA apparently are likely to permit five substitutes when football returns. Mm -hmm. I don't like that idea. That's not what we used to. No. That's a change that probably is necessary, but I, I, don't, I don't... It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It, it, it's, it's half a, lot. a team. It's half it, a team. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a testimonial or a friendly it's figure. It's half a team. Uh, the Premier League, nowhere near having found a formula to complete the season, says Aston Villa's chief exec, Christian Perslow. He says the issues of dealing with players who could catch coronavirus are still unsolved. I, I get that. There are major concerns, and I'll come back to it. I'll tell mm -hmm. you why. Um, uh, Paul Barber, who we've talked about a lot, Andy, the chief exec at uh, Brighton, is saying it's not just the bottom six that have railed against neutral venue plans. There are others, but the bottom six are being made out to be the bad guys, yes. and, and he's not happy about that. Um, here's a story that, wow, when this leapt out at me yesterday, I thought, God, we should have done that. Mm -hmm. um, Cristiano Ronaldo was raging. Who is this Scottish guy? Then something clicked. Darren Fletcher reveals Walter Smith transformed <clears throat> Ronaldo by introducing a brutal no-fouls rule in Manchester. <laughs> did, did we not discuss that three months ago? Yes, with Darren. Yeah. Here in Qatar, yes. I thought so. I yeah, just thought it was worth checking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> testing players three times before a restart. Squads split into groups of eight. And the possibility of living away from the family, which is another major issue for me, for players. That's La Liga's 24-page plan for players to get back to work in Spain. Mm. And, and, and I'm not sure. Uh, here's a, an, an unusual one. I, I can't see too many of our top-earning football stars, Andy, out with bucket and sponge. But um, Premier League clubs are to enforce strict coronavirus protocols ahead of May the 18th training. 
Um, they're going to ban stars from public transport. Really? Public transport. <laughs> public transport. I, I, we should have spot the star on public transport. <laughs> the last person to use a bus <clears throat> to go to work was Bobby Charlton. Yeah. And uh, they're going to be told to keep their cars <laughs> spotless. Now, I can't think, as I said, that, that too many of them will be out. They will be. No. The new jet wash. They love it. They won't be doing that. They will. Amongst the, amongst the litany of people that surround a modern-day footballer, there'll be somebody with a bucket no, of sponge. No, not to know. You've got your tattooist. He won't be allowed in the He won't be allowed at the house. You've got your rapper. You've got your chef. You've got your, 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 your nails man. Yeah. You've, you've got, a, I mean, two hangers-on minimum. Minimum? You've got to have two hangers-on. Yeah. Um, agent. Yeah. Uh, have I missed anybody? No, I think These are the people that will be doing the, the, yeah. the car washing. Uh, Kylian Mbappe awarded the League 1. Uh, can you say it? Ligue 1. Okay. Um, golden boot after the French season was cancelled, despite being level on goals with uh, Monaco's Vissam Ben Yedda. Go on. Um, must have a reason being? Ben Yedda scored three penalties. Mbappe's are all in open play. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Yeah, you can't. That's ridiculous. Well, it's what they've done. So they've said to the, young, the other kid, sorry. Mbappe's a top goal scorer, even you, though he scored the same amount of goals. Yes. No, it's ridiculous. Yes. Sorry. That's exactly ask what Alan Shearer how he feels about that. <laughs> well, ask Andy Cole, who's yes. 59 short. Yeah. And they were the number of penalties, as we've said often, that Shearer uh, converted. We won't sign. These are, these are Premier League stars giving the COVID-19 forms um, uh, the cold shoulder. They're, they're concerned that it's going to get them into a legal scenario. Um, sh- in other words, pass the responsibility of the star getting the COVID either to himself or family if they sign these uh, dis- dis- uh, disclaimer forms. I think there's more to come on that. I don't think we're actually hearing the true story about those forms. Um, lockdown in the UK in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, we expected that Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, would be lifting various restrictions next week. It doesn't look as though that's going to be the case. And here's another serious issue, and a general issue. Black people four times as likely to die as white. Now, if I'm a Barmy footballer... Mm-hmm. I've got significant sense about yeah. that, Andy. I really Listen, have. Make no, make no mistake, Richard. There's, there's, there's a lot of obstacles to overcome before we start back. Lots of them. Mm. Um, and I think the, the big one is Germany, I think, for me. I think everyone is waiting to see what happens. Next, not this the weekend, starts next weekend. Today. K-League starts today. No, I think we're looking more at so, German football than the K-League, actually. Uh, I told you the story about Johnny Giles once when I shared a studio with him, uh, 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 looking to try to, to give good due credit to the Leeds team of 91 mm-hmm. that won the title. And I, I, struggling to go somewhere in conversation, I said, look, you know, David Batty here, so similar to uh, Billy Bremner, wears the number four jersey, good little combative player. And Johnny said, not fit to lace his boots. That was the end of the conversation. <laughs> well, he's piped up again, Johnny. Um, Bruno, the new skulls, don't make me laugh. <laughs> I agree with him. Yeah, yeah. I agree You'd with him. You'd need to be a good player to be yeah. Paul Scholes, wouldn't you? Uh, restart, revolt. Uh, the Brighton chief exec, back to Paul Barber again, uh, says uh, many, many clubs will try and block the neutral grounds plan. And uh, the, the chairman of the LMA, Richard Bevan, has said if we don't do neutral grounds, we haven't got a, we, we, we're not coming back. Well, let me, do you know what I, I think most football fans are actually getting a little tired of the long, drawn-out process that's happening. I know it has to be. What I'm saying is, I think what football fans want right now is a, a decision. Well, that's why I stopped us Just talking Just make about a decision. It. Are we going to start? Yes or no? Give us a definitive, guys, and then we can all move on. The trouble is, Andy, they don't know. I they know. want to, but they can't come up with a formula that suits everybody. I'll tell Next you week, I'm sure Leagues 1 and 2 will say, that's it, off, finish, done. Right. And then we've got a decision. Then we work out 
who should want, win what or be relegated to where. But uh, it, it, it just goes on. By the way, Kyle Walker, how many times? <laughs> Best headline today, Walker the plank. Um, <laughs> after, after he's been found out uh, socially mixing uh, three times over the last 24 hours. And his, his apology this time, he says, look, you know, I'm just like everybody else. I, I, I've got mental health anguish as well. We all have Kyle. Mm. We all have, but we're all trying to do the thing that saves other people's lives, Correct. not our own. Correct. That's why we wear a mask. Um, Premier League clubs opposed to Project Restart Fear uh, on the basis that Liverpool, once they've won the title, will just play kids, and therefore that will adversely affect. Well, they could easily. The project. Yeah, well, of course they could. Yeah. Of course they could. Uh, right. Okay. So that's the newspapers. Now, um, as I said, referring back to where we started the program today, a story of of genuine. Fascination for me. Mm-hmm. I, I've shared it previously. I know the individual involved very well. Um, not sure if he's a footballer or inventor, Andy. Inventor or footballer. Both, I would think. Uh, we're here, we're here mm. today on Being Sports Around the Globe and on YouTube for an hour in order that we can fully explain um, this story. So before we meet our guest today, I think it right and proper that he introduces mm-hmm. himself Correct. for us and gives us a little bit of the bone. We'll put the meat on it when we come back. G'day, my name's Craig Johnston and this is my story. As a six-year-old growing up in Australia, I was a bright, happy kid. I was fascinated by science, maths and how things worked. Then tragedy. I was struck down by osteomyelitis, a form of polio. My parents signed the order to amputate my left leg. But miraculously, a polio specialist saved the leg with a complex operation. The year was 1966, and from the hospital bed, I watched the famous Charlton Brothers win the World Cup over in England, and I became obsessed with the game of football. For the next six years, I got stronger, and my love of the game only increased and increased. I begged my parents to let me go to England on trial. Mum was a schoolteacher and challenged me, if you come first in science, maths and English, we will pay your fare. Well, I studied like no kid had ever studied before and did so unexpectedly well that my parents had to sell the family home to pay for my trial in England. So my family moved to a smaller home out in the bush and I moved to the other side of the world, to Middlesbrough in the cold north of England. The moment I arrived, I was thrown into a trial game. We were getting beat 3-0 at half-time. The famous Jack Charlton stormed into the dressing room and had a real go at all of the trialists. But he saved his harshest words for me. You, kangaroo, are the worst player I have ever seen in my life. Go back to where you came from. Well, I burst into tears. I had to phone my parents. I was so ashamed. I told them that Jack Charlton said I was one of the finest players that he'd ever seen and he wanted me to stay. I quickly hung up the phone and burst into tears again. I couldn't go home and I couldn't stay at Middlesbrough. And worst of all, Jack Charlton was right. I couldn't control the ball, couldn't pass the ball, I couldn't dribble or shoot. I just couldn't play. Some senior pros had heard about the tongue lashing and felt sorry for me. They gave me some money to clean their cars and said for now I could stay in the old coal shed behind the trialist digs. But I had to hide from Charlton until I could save up for my fair home. 
The apprentices didn't like me. I'd been told to leave by the gaffer, so why was I still there? Even though I wasn't allowed to train with them, they gave me all of their crap jobs to do. Each day I cleaned the boots, toilets and changing rooms long after they had all gone home. Later, on the cobblestone streets outside the Ayrson Park Stadium and by the light of the gas lamps, I would ask to play in the pick-up games with the scruffy street kids. They were younger than me, but much better than me at football. It was embarrassing. They took the mickey out of me and called me Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, but at least I was actually playing, and at least they didn't hate me. Finally, back in the shed after midnight, I would cry myself to sleep. I realised just how far I was from my home, family and friends. I felt like I was in a kind of jail and desperately wanted to go back home to the warmth of the people who loved and wanted me, rather than a cold and empty Middlesbrough car park. Just to get myself through, I had to wildly imagine that I was actually playing a Wembley Stadium. I spent five or six hours every day pretending I was Georgie Best, Bobby Charlton or even Pelé. I had no idea what I was doing. I was blindly practising, just running around in circles. The months passed and passed, but I wasn't getting any better. Or was I? I just didn't know. The problem was, I didn't have any measurement, didn't have any standardisation. I didn't know where I stood. I was ready to pack it all in and go home a failure. In tears, I picked up the ball, held it in my hands and suddenly remembered studying hard for schoolwork and being tested on how good I was. That was it, testing. Just like math and science tests. The ball is a perfect object. It doesn't make mistakes. The person using it makes the mistakes, and the more you use it, the less mistakes you make. What I needed was a standardised measurement test for my soccer skills, to know how good I was, and to know if I was getting any better. There were only four main skill tests to standardise. Controlling the ball, passing it, dribbling and shooting. I painted a full-scale penalty box and goal mouth onto the car park floor and up the walls. Within this, I created a mathematical grid with targets to hit, targets to avoid and targets to pass off. By standardising the Variables of Distance Accuracy Time Analysis, or DATA, data, and then applying that analysis to the four core skills, I had basically standardised my own mistake-to-attempt ratio and metric. To get better at football, all I had to do was get faster and more accurate at these four skills. And now, with the data, I could prove it. This was my hallelujah moment. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, I could actually plan my training. I had very focused goals, consistent repetition, and a mistake metric to judge myself by. This tangible proof, or data, became a very powerful motivation and made me train even harder. I could be a better player at night than I woke up in the morning. 1977 was a freezing winter. A chronic virus had swept through the club and there weren't enough players to field a full reserve team for a game. What about the kangaroo in the car park? 
somebody said. He's crap, said two or three other voices from the dressing room. Well, he doesn't have to play, he just needs to be on the team sheet so we don't have to forfeit the match. This, I knew, could be my big chance. We were 2-0 down at half-time and one of our players got injured. I came on as sub, scored two goals and we won the match. My teammates were more shocked than I was. After two long years, the kangaroo was finally out of the car park and on his way to becoming a proper footballer. Later in the season, aged 17 years, 6 months, 7 days and 15 hours, but who's counting, I became the youngest player ever to play for Middlesbrough Football Club in a crucial fourth round FA Cup tie against Everton. We won and I played really well. Walking off the pitch, I was mobbed by my teammates. No, not the borough players, but my scruffy young street mates from Ayrson Park Road. I went on to play 64 games and scored 16 goals for Middlesbrough Football Club. The kangaroo was now bouncing around places such as Old Trafford, Highbury, White Hart Lane and Stamford Bridge. I guess my raw enthusiasm for the game stood out and I was scouted by clubs such as Nottingham Forest, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham and Manchester United. But it was Liverpool who signed me and I became the most expensive player in British football history. But just for a day. Mark Lawrenson was signed for more money the day after me. It was a good while it lasted. I was at Liverpool for eight glorious years and made some remarkable friendships. I was lucky enough to win five league championships, two league cups, one charity shield and a European Cup winner's medal. But the highlight was to score the winning goal in the 1986 FA Cup final and win the glorious double against, of all teams, Everton. We were 1-1 midway through the second half when I scored. In celebration, I jumped up in the air and I screamed to the lads, I've done it! I've done it! This didn't mean that I'd scored. This meant I'd overcome illness, adversity and rejection. But somehow, I'd got myself into that team on that day to score that goal. Yes, I had done it, from the hospital bed to the car park to Wembley Stadium. Yes, I had done it. I had scored that goal in the Middlesbrough car park hundreds and thousands of times. And that is my story. Craig Johnston, who dared to dream, yeah. fulfilled the dream and walked away at the height of his powers. Inventor, incidentally, of the Predator football game. Correct, yes. And he's got a plan up his sleeve that we're going to discuss with him later that will find us in, in a world whereby we, we, we can better rank footballers like yeah. gol golfers, Andy. But yeah. in the meantime, Craig Johnston, from his home in Sydney yes. these days. Welcome to Keys and Grey. Ah, lovely to see you again, boys. Lovely to see you again. It's great to see you, Craig. How is everyone coping over there with uh, coronavirus and lockdown? Or are you in lockdown? You, you know what? Uh, we've, we've coped really well. Uh -huh. um, we haven't reached 100 deaths yet. Um, and again, we're probably closer than most to China. Um, and we, we got hit pretty early by a, a cruise ship. Yeah. Uh, that infect uh, a lot of people got off a cruise ship, infected uh, quite a few people. So we we were very spooked and panicked early on. Um, 
but the government has done an incredible job to keep it still below 100 uh, to, to, to this day. And, you know, it's a, it's a big country, uh, world's, uh, world's small, smallest continent, world's biggest island. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Very good description. And, uh, uh, you know, we've done really well. So, so our lockdown wasn't as extreme as, as yours. Uh, it wasn't ex- as extreme as America, you know, Italy, Spain, all, all the tough, the tough hotspots. Um, but it was, it was pretty, pretty, you know, uh, well policed by, by people. Nobody, apart from Bondi Beach a couple of times. Yeah. And, and they're tourists anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so no, we, we've been lucky. We've been lucky. And, uh, mind you, we had the bushfires, we had the drought, we've yeah. had, uh, Oh, Craig, don't depress us. <laughs> don't depress us. You're here today to lift our spirits. We, so we don't want to go down that route. And, and I don't say this by way of, uh, uh it, it's a compliment. Looking these days, more like an aging surfer than a footballer. The, mm. the curly locks have gone, and there's yeah. a ponytail, I think, tucked somewhere around the back, isn't Still there? Still got it. You, you have to remind me, you know when you said the aging surfer? I've got something to show you um, later about the aging surfer, so remind me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, we, we need a brief look at the ponytail, Craig. Still there? Is it well, still there? We'll, we'll stay there, and I'm going to show you what the aging surfer's got, and I'll show you the ponytail at the same time. <laughs> 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 he's running, but what's he bringing? No. Well, it's a very lovely house, I have to say. And if he's overlooking Sydney Harbour Bridge, yeah. which I suspect he probably will be, I just hope he hasn't gone to the loft to find Oh, there we go. You <laughs> <was there. laughs> Uh, yeah. uh, that's where it all. Oh, the Liverpool. Oh, the Liverpool badge on it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Great Take stuff. That, you blue noses. Yeah, get off, you. Get off. <laughs> get off. Oh, he's going to leave that there. Oh, he's now, leaving it in short now, look. Uh. <laughs> well, at this point, I hope it falls over and goes straight through that glass. Or is that being look mean? Up, that, no, it's, just, it's, just put it down. Come back and talk to us, for goodness sake. <laughs> That's fine. Yes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so let's start. Let's start, Craig. Where where the little uh, cartoon series did a boy of seven who dared to dream, who should have had a right leg, right left a, a leg amputated. Uh, I mean, that was all fairly dramatic stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. This was uh, uh, back in the sixties, and I was six years old, and uh, I had a fight with a kid on my first day of school. Um, and uh, he kicked me in the leg, and it, it got infected. And um, about two weeks later, I was uh, sort of in bed and screaming and, and writhing around in, uh, in agony. And this is before they'd really conquered uh, polio. And the doctors came in and, and uh, uh, sort of diagnosed it as polio, went straight to the hospital, uh, and a touring American doctor said, no, I think this is osteomyelitis. Um, and uh, we can save the, the, the leg. But they, they told mum and dad that uh, if, they, if he got it wrong, the leg would have to come off, wow. um, which would have slowed me down on the wing. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> would have slowed you down more yeah, than a little, little bit. But the story, that you, you, uh, your, your parents initially have promised to motivate you, which, which obviously was the case, producing those remarkable school results, but sold the house to finance your trip to England to become a footballer. I mean, Wow. Well, um, yeah, what had happened is um, there there was a show on Australian television, black and white television. It was um, on a Monday night, and and it was uh, the big match. Um, So it was one soccer show, 
in black and white, but it was about all of the first division English teams. And I just fell in love with the game. My, my dad was a player, so he he tried to come across when he was uh, uh, 20, 21, 22, and he went to actually um, uh, Aberdeen, um, and uh, but he didn't quite make it. So uh, we, we loved the sport, and Dad sort of talked me and said, well, look, you know, if you want to go to England, you have to go early because they're, they're so much better than us. So, so that, that's actually what happened. But while I was in the hospital, it was 1966, and the World Cup was yeah, on yeah. in England. Actually, the last time England ever won anything yes, was 1966. Yes, 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 oh, no, yes, yes. Yes, yes. Mate, just so you know, Andy's got a little grin on there. That's good. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, mate, what happened was that... Uh, uh, I saw some of the World Cup being played in the famous Charlton brothers, Bobby yeah. and Jack, and I, I fell in love with the game uh, after the doctors had told me that the, the leg might need to come off. So I was hanging on to that, and Dad would come to the hospital and sit with me, and he'd say, OK, well, well, let's make a plan to go across. So Mum, who was a school teacher, wasn't involved in the soccer side of things, but she was involved in math, science, and English. And Mum said... If you come in first in math, science, and English, we'll pay you a fare to go across. So I studied like like no kid had ever studied, and uh, I I did remarkably well in all three. So much so that they had to commit to moving to a smaller house um, way back in the suburbs uh, in a bush kind of thing um, to to finance the trip. Um, uh, and I surprised them with my diligence. And Mama spoke to the other day. She said, yeah, she said, you were up at, when I used to get up, you know, to go to the bathroom, you'd be up at 1, 1 o'clock, 1.30, 2 a.m. in the morning doing your homework. That's how much you wanted to, to be good at, at school, but also how much you wanted to get to England. So that was their sacrifice. So, so Middlesbrough was your chosen venue for mm. one reason or another, but it didn't necessarily work as you would have wanted it to, did it? Not that you were going to tell your parents that. When I got to... Um, to, to Middlesbrough, it was uh, it was uh, December. It was <laughs> snowing and, and raining north of England. The day before, I'd been on the beach here. In the background, it was dreadfully, dreadfully hot, uh, and the sunshine and the water with my mates. And I'd uh, I'd landed and, and and got the train up to, to Middlesbrough, and uh, it was horrible. And I got thrown straight into a trial, and we're getting beat three 0 at, at half time. And the trialists were all from Scotland, Wales, <laughs> Ireland, and they're all tough young kids that were incredibly skilled, left foot, right foot. They had the whole package. They were mini, mini Andy Gray's, the, the whole thing, you know. And they had attitude, Andy Gray again, you know. <laughs> and they looked at me and they, they saw this raster hair. I had surfy, surfy raster hair. I looked like Bob Marley's son. And uh, they said, who are you? And I said, I'm, you know, from Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia. So they said, oh, you're coming to get, get a job, so are we. So immediately, you know, there was a, 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 a conflict, but they were so good at soccer, and, and I was pretty awful. So we're getting beat 3-0 at halftime. Jack Tarleton came in, and when does a manager ever come to a trial escape? Yeah. Very, very rarely, yeah. very rarely. Yeah. Anyway, he came in, you know what Jack's like. He had a big red face on him, big neck like this. He was furious. And he went round the dressing room, he said, you're rubbish, hopeless, crap, no good. 
And he got to me, he said, New. He said, Where are you from? I said, I'm from Newcastle, northern New South Wales, Australia. He said, Well, you are the worst footballer I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he said, You'll never make it while, while your ass points to the ground now. Hop it. But he didn't say hop it. You know, he said, said some rude words, which people said back then, and they were allowed to because that was the culture. Mm. Right? So I, I said to him, He said, you know, the two words. And I said, what now? At half time, he said, now. And he said the two words again. So everybody was a little bit with this. And I, I, I uh, grabbed my bag and, you know, closed it up. You know, I had a brush of the hair because there was mud and snow and everything all over my face. And I went outside and it was freezing with snow and I burst into tears. So that was my trial or, or half time of the trial. Right, we'll take a break because the story continues. Yeah. It's fascinating uh, for our friends in Australia particularly uh, who uh, have uh, commercials yes. uh, to, uh, to broadcast. Uh, we'll take a very quick break and be back with the Craig Johnston story live on Being Sports in just a moment. Welcome back to Being Sports viewers all over the globe and to our international audience watching on YouTube. It's, it's very good to have your company. We're in the middle of a, uh, an inspirational football story, how to become a footballer if you've got the determination. Yeah, so let's pick up, Craig. By the way, quickly, what age were you when you arrived in Middlesbrough? How old were you? Just 15. Well, there you go. So you're 15. You fly all the way from Australia on your own, I'm guessing, get to Middlesbrough, yep. play in a trial. Yep. Get hooked by Jack Charlton at half-time because you were hopeless. Jack told you as much. What kept you going? How did you manage to not let that affect you? Well, um, I, had to, I had to get home to the digs. And, and I just arrived, so I didn't know where the digs were. So <laughs> I, uh, I had to hail, hail down a taxi, and I hadn't changed money. This is 1975, black and white television. Yeah. You know, uh, we're not, we weren't sophisticated like, like we are now, and uh, trials are all set up. And uh, I had to find the digs, and, um, and I uh, explained to the lady that Jack Charlton um, had told me to leave, and she said, well, then you can't stay here. And I said, well, yeah, I know, but I've got to stay somewhere. And she said, have you got any money? I said, no, because I ha hadn't changed any, you know, um, and, you know, Back in 75, people didn't go overseas. That, that was the mm -hmm. point. So um, she said, well, look, I can't go against the gaffer, um, but, but you can stay at the coal shed, shed at, the, at the bottom of the garden. Um, but, but, you know, it's an ex-coal shed, but, but it was sort of clean and there was a bed um, and there, there was a little heater. So uh, uh, Nina Postgate was her name, lovely lady. Um, so then I said, well, look, there's only one other thing, Mrs. Postgate, I've got to do. I've got to phone my parents um, she said oh yeah you better do that so back then reverse charges you, 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 you couldn't you couldn't phone no iPhones no nothing so it took me nearly half an hour to get hooked to get my parents on and finally mum came to the phone she said Craigus Craigus how was your trial you know I said well well I had the trial already and she said oh really how'd you go and I said well Jack Chart was there and she said, Colin, Colin, come to the phone. The famous Jack Charlton was there. I know it sounds like Dame Edna, but that's how Aussie mums speak. And anyway, 
So Dad came to the phone and he said, oh, mate, good on you, matey. How'd you go? How'd you go? With the, the famous Jack Charlton. I said, Dad, he said that I'm one of the finest plays he's ever seen. He wants me to stay. Right? And, uh, and I hung up and burst into tears. And I thought, now what the hell do I do? And uh, that, that was the story. And that's, that's how it happened. But you lived in the coal shed, sponsored by players like Graham Souness, who was on the staff at the time, and, and turned yourself into a footballer. How? Mm. Well, well um, you're quite right about Graham Souness. And uh, um, basically, Nina said, we can't tell Jack Charlton you're staying here. So, so what you have to do is not tell anyone you're here. And you can't train with the, the, the players. Um, so I was there for a couple of weeks, and I just stayed right out there. I'd never seen snow, so I'd run out with bare feet in the snow because I'd never seen it before. Um, and uh, I was just sort of trying to figure out, you know, what the hell I'd done because I was a grade A student, you know, and I, I, I was going to be a doctor or a, a, or a lawyer or, a, you know, an architect. So, so this was a, a, a real... Um, sort of eye-opener, um, and the key thing that, that, that saved me was Graham Souness, and there was another lovely, lovely chap, left full-back for England, chap called Terry Cooper. Yes, um, yes, absolutely. A real, real gentleman, both of them. They heard about the, the, the lashing that, that uh, uh, Jack had given me and thought it was a bit over the top. So they said, well, look, if you clean our cars and boots, we'll give you some money, right, so you can afford to, to pay the fare home. Because my parents only could afford a one-way ticket. And they clearly thought the trial would go better, so did I. Um, so, so that's what I did. I hid from Charlton, who'd come into work. He'd park his car, and I'd duck down, right, in the car park, and then when he'd go, I'd clean the cars, I'd clean the boots, and the, the players paid me. And then um, uh, Charlton would, would leave in the afternoon, and again, I'd hide from him. So the lads all knew I was there, but I worked hard. I was getting in at 5 and 6 in the morning and kicking a ball against the car park wall, doing the chores. They would all go off and train, and then I would do the boots of a night. So in the end, Sunesh started to pay me. It's a true Scotsman. Rather than give me money, he would pay me, he would pay me with Puma Kings. Remember the old Puma Kings? Yes. yes. Yeah, very much so. so. So I love football boots. I had a passion and a love. For the boots, and there was the the, the Adidas Copa Mondial. Yes. Right? So, so that was my joy in life was cleaning the players' boots, and they would then pay me with their with boots, spare boots that they had. And and then I would I would go out when when Essen Park was closed down. I could go out and run around on Essen Park itself when nobody was there with proper boots on and pretend I was a proper footballer. So <laughs> I, I, I've always been a bit of a dreamer and a bit of a you know, uh, a bit, uh, yeah, that's a good word, dreamer. So I, I kept dreaming, and um, uh, and then eventually I was there for about eight months, and uh, and Big Jack left, and he went to go to Sheffield Wednesday, and a new guy came in called John Neal. Yes. And the first day he came in, he, he saw me in the car park, and he came over, he said, oh, hello, how are you? And, and I said, good. He said, where are you from? I said, Newcastle, Northern New South Wales, Australia. He said, uh, he said, you're the only one out here training on your own. I said, yeah, I'm out here every day. And he said, why? I said, because I'm not allowed to train with the others. He said, why not? I said, well, 
because I just do the jobs around here. And he said, well, you look pretty good to me. So anyway, he's gone back in and he said to the, the guys, he said, who's the bloke, bloke outside, you know, um, with the uh, Bob Marley hair? And they said, oh, that's the kangaroo in the car park. And he said, is he any good? He said, they said, no. So <laughs> that's why he's there. And, and that's what happened. It's extraordinary. So that, was, that, that was the next stage. But I'd been spending three, four, five, and six hours a day in the car park, left foot, right foot, um, in, the corner, in the corner of the brick walls. I would, and you've done it, we've all yeah. done it. You throw the ball off, you chest it, one bounce, you volley it onto that wall, one touch, chest, down, volley it onto that wall. So I drew targets on the wall and I stood in a target. So if I, if I had to do 10 in a row by hitting the target, if, if I didn't, I'd start again. Mm. Right, and I did it left foot, right foot. So slowly I got a touch and a feel for the ball because I had this uh, epiphany uh, just before they let me out of the coal shed and, and got me into the, the digs on, on the, the, the bottom floor. Um, I had this kind of, you know, depression and sadness for probably uh, about six months when I first got there because I was running in circles. But then I realized that the football, right, is a beautiful object. It's a perfect object. It doesn't make mistakes. The players that are using it makes the mistakes. Mm. And the more you use it, the less mistakes you make. So I thought Charlton's 100% right, and he was, because I couldn't control the ball, I couldn't pass, I couldn't dribble, I couldn't shoot, like the other kids from Scotland, Ireland, Wales, or the English guys could. So I, I then sort of, uh, you know the, the, the Rocky movie? Mm -hmm. That was out, you know, a, a little bit round then as well. And uh, I, I used to l listen to the tune of Rocky and, and other, you know, songs, and that kept me going through the day. And what I then did, and this was the cleverest bit of all, right, four or five or six hours in a car park in, in, you know, in, in the cold north of England is, is, is a big ask of anyone, mm. right? And, and as you both know, my skill in life, I was fit as a fiddle. And I was, you know, I wasn't Andy Gray or Peter Reid tough or Graham Sunez tough, but I was mentally tough. Mm. So I realised that if I really concentrated on those little skill games and the little targets, I figured out that there's only two skills a player ever does for 90 minutes. He gets the ball and he gives it. That's true. And every time he makes Shame a mistake, <laughs> hang on, I'll, I'll, I'll get there, right? And every time he makes a mistake, it's because he doesn't get it quick enough or he doesn't give it quickly or accurately enough. So after you've got it, then the give can be a pass, short or long, or it can be a shot at goal. So there's only four fundamental skills, control, pass, dribbles, shoot. So I set up a little skills course, 3D obstacle course, using chalk and paint and, and benches that I stole from the church, you know, the church pews, mm -hmm. right? And I set up a control, a pass, a dribble, and a shoot rig with a full-size goals and a full-size penalty box. So what I figured out that I then had a mistake-to-attempt ratio, which means is that the little game I told you, you know, uh, I then said, okay, no bounces. 
So I would throw the, the first one on the wall, and then I would chest it, pass it onto that wall, into the square, chest, onto that wall, onto that wall, without dropping it. Then you get in touch and feel. Right, Andy? Mm -hmm. You've done it. We're yeah. all good players. Georgie Best. You go back. Pelé did it with a grapefruit and an orange and a rolled up. We all did it in some way or other. Right? All great sportsmen have the craft and the feel and the touch. And we all get treated to that these days with coaching and, and, you know, academies and crap. But that's what we did. Now, what I figured out, though, I if I concentrated on that skill... I could get through it in 10 minutes. If I didn't, take me 20 or half an hour. So my mistake to attempt ratio meant I'd only be spending four hours in the car park rather than six. <laughs> then I got down to three. Then I got down mm. to two with the same skills because I was totally focused and totally left foot, right foot, control, pass, dribble, shoot. So I was actually creating a data set with a mistake-to-attempt ratio, and nobody knew what data was back then, but to me, I could then get back to the digs and have the, um, the, the, the beans on toast with a, a, a melted cheese with beans oh. on toast because that's what we were fed, <laughs> right? and, and then watch Coronation Street with the rest of the, the lads. And that was my dream in life, to do that, rather than you know getting, getting back late. So I, 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 I basically found out a way, because I was getting up so early, where I could be a better soccer player, a better footballer, at night than when I woke up in the morning through how quickly I got through my core drills. And that's, that's the story. It is extraordinary. The story then took you on to Liverpool, you won everything, walked away at the, the peak of your fame before inventing the Predator. You talked about your obsession with football boots. Why did you walk away when the world... Was at your feet. My sister got sick. Um, she, she was involved in a, a dreadful accident in a Morocco. Uh, her husband had died the week before, um, so she went to pick up his belongings. And uh, she was having a shower in, in Morocco and in a small room, um, and the gas flame blew out, so she was breathing in the gas... Um, Toxic fumes. The, the yeah. gas, which replaced the oxygen. Yeah. So she, she passed out, and as she fell down, she hit her head on the side of the bath and completely locked herself out. Um, and she lay in the bath for about an hour and a half, breathing the gas. So she was deprived of oxygen, so major brain damage. And they took her to the hospital uh, in Morocco. And, uh, and then um, this was about Christmas. Um, How old were you, Craig, about, at this time? Uh, how old were you? 88. And uh, uh, we, we were going to the Christmas party, and I, I was dressed up as Springsteen or someone, and uh, the phone rang, and it was mum and dad from Australia, and said, Craig, your, your sister Faye has been in a dreadful accident in Morocco, um, and uh, uh, we can't do anything from here, uh, so we're just telling you. So, um, so I had immediately got everything and uh, find a plane, um, and, and get to Paris and then find a, a medical plane and get to uh, Tangier and then Morocco. And then, then I flew Faye, who had a, um, a, a, a small daughter, Jamila, um, with her. And I, I went into the hospital and it was like old nuns in old 
you know, rags almost, uh, with, with gas lights or, or, or walking around, and it, and it smelt dreadful. And, uh, and I could hear Faye um, sort of screaming, and uh, her head was two or three sizes uh, bigger than it, it should have been, and she was in a coma. So uh, that's what we had to do was to get her and Jamila back to London, uh, which I did, and then, then I had to get mum and dad over to, um, to London also. So I then had to go back to Liverpool and uh, uh, shared it with Peter Robertson and Kenny, but I said I don't want anybody else at the club to know because then the media will know, then it will be impossible. Mm. And, uh, and, and they, they, they honoured that. Uh, which was great, but uh, so you walked away at what I, age? How how old were you at this time? Uh, I was uh, twenty six. Wow! Well, didn't play again. Invented the predator. Didn't make the sort of rewards from it that I think you felt you should have done. But here you are now with another scheme to turn the experience from the Middlesbrough car park into a commercial idea, which is what. Oh, it's more than a commercial idea, but but just saying, can I finish with Faye? Yes, um, sorry, yes. Quickly? So, so, so um, Faye never came out of the coma proper, and she's still in a vegetative state. Oh, so okay. mum and dad took her back to Australia, and uh, I, I felt sorry for mum and dad, because you'd asked me why I retired at 27. Nobody had ever walked away from the game. And uh, that that forced me, because... There was no insurance and there was no, I had to pay the hospital bills and they were worth a fortune and mum couldn't really look after her. So that's why I retired, was to come home because we thought Faye would come out of the coma mm. and we thought she would come good. And unfortunately she never did and I ran out of money. So uh, Graham Souness tried to bring me back when he became manager at Liverpool and there's some, some lovely stories in there of people trying to get me back but it just never happened because I then had to make a living uh, and that's when I went into television um, and you know the, the saddest bit of all of it not not that I retired at 27 but Faye never never recovered no, and mum's still looking sad. after her uh, to this day so um, yeah, yeah I, I got a job with Kerry Packer and Why Well of Sport and I started to pr- produce television because I've always been a cameraman always been a photographer um, and I loved that but then I created my own primetime family game show called The Main Event, and I sold that to uh, BBC One, actually had it on a Saturday night <laughs> at 6.30, just after Jim will fix it. It was called The Main Event. The, uh, the host was a guy called Chris Tarrant. Oh, yes. So, a guy called, so a guy called a Chris legend, Tarrant. A legend called, a legend called Chris Tarrant. Yeah. Tell, Tell France too, ran it five nights a week. ZDF in Switzerland ran it five, five times a week. Uh, NBC in, in, in America optioned it, so and it ran for three years in Australia prime time. So it was a very successful show, but I left that because I kept having this idea about a football shoe that actually gave a player more grip and a bigger sweet spot because I'd spent years and years and years in the Middlesbrough car park addressing the ball and every time I'd kick for one of the targets, my brain said, what part of foot on what part of ball to what effect? You know, with the various spin, the various backspin, feet in the wind. People like Andy Gray, people like Glenn Hoddle, people like Zico, people like Meredith, they do that stuff for nothing. It comes as a gift from God. 
I didn't have that gift. I had persistence, I had brains, and I figured it out. So, so that's the whole concept of where the predator came from, was all those years I spent addressing how do you swerve a ball and all of that stuff. And, and everybody knows the story. I was coaching kids in Australia, and I, and I said, kids, when you spin the ball to swerve it, it's like a table tennis bat for your feet. And the kid said, well, that's fine, Mr. Johnston, but it's raining and our boots are made of leather and they're slippery. And then I thought, bingo, of course. <laughs> so then I, I, the, 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 the thing got cancelled, the, the, the uh, training got postponed. So as I was driving home, I said, the kids are right. It's all the stuff I know. I went home. I took the table tennis bat off the table tennis bat. I wrapped it around my boot with an elastic band, kicked the ball, which is polyurethane, and you could hear the squeal of the, 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 the rubber, the butadiene in the rubber, getting through the water onto the polyurethane. More grip through the butadiene of the rubber. So that was it, and the patent was all based on that. I took it to Adidas, they knocked it back, took it to Puma, Reebok, they all said it would never work, but I knew it worked. Like I knew I could be a footballer. Mm. Like I knew I wasn't a TV producer, but I knew people would like the main events. So all people have always told me I couldn't do stuff, but it made me do stuff. And, uh, you know, that, that's the Predator story. And I, I eventually took it to, to Beckenbauer, um, Rummenigge, Breitner, and Hansi Muller in training in the snow at Bayern Munich. They kicked it around. They said something in German. I filmed all of it. I took it back to Adidas, who were trading as insolvent. Adidas were going bankrupt. <laughs> the Dazzler Daughters were selling the, the company to the Frenchman, Bernard Tapie, for a dollar, and he was going to pay the debts off. That, they, was, they, was, they were gone. Then I brought this tape in with uh, the players on it, and they said, what, what, is, what did they say? And I said, I don't know. I don't speak German. <laughs> so these are the guys, that, the, the, the board of directors of Adidas, that had knocked me back, you know, and I'd spent a fortune and eight years proving that it worked. They put the tape in. Within 30 seconds, they all stood up and they all stood, started clapping. They said, this is the future of our brand. And that's how the deal was done on the spot. Wow. Just ridiculous. Now, you won't believe this. selling soccer shoe of all time. We have, we have spoken, or rather you have, to the point whereby we have two minutes of this program left, Craig, <laughs> for you to steer people in the direction of your new scheme, the operation I just referred to a moment or so back, Soccer skills, how can we find out more and where can we find out more? Here's the truth and the facts. Within every player, there's three or four percent of untapped potential. I told this to uh, Sunes and, and uh, Dalglish and they laughed at me. <laughs> After Leicester had that incredible story, the best story in the history of football ever, is how a group of basically... Average, average right. players, mm. right? Okay, players won the hardest and toughest league competition at all. And Graham and, 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 and Kenny both said to me, you know what? It's not three or four percent, it's 30 or 40 percent of untapped potential. <laughs> and I know how to get that from players because I turn myself around, and players can be better players on a daily basis if they concentrate on the craft the love, the science and math of juggling a ball and playing with a ball, left foot, right foot, and focusing on the fundamentals. 
So we've got to speak to these kids in a language they understand. This is our new digital sophisticated consumers. They're all gamers. They're all esporters. So let's use technology, right, and and modern social media, right, and database analytics and cloud-based computers and apps to recreate the Middlesbrough car park in everybody's backyard. And that's exactly what I'm doing to leave a legacy um, so that kids, if they want to do what Andy said at the start of the show, if they want it, if they love it, if they're prepared to do their soccer homework on a daily basis, my promise in life, you can be a better soccer player at night than you were in the morning. And Andy, that's your other question. How did you survive and how did you get through that dreadful time? And, and I often say I was in jail. I was like being in jail, mm. right? But it was the best and most purest time of my life because there was no fluff. There was no... It was all about guts and accountability and self-motivation. And, you know, I hate to say it, but, but when, when I speak to kids now and I'll finish, I often say that I had a dream when I was a kid. I had a dream to be the best soccer player in the world, like Pelé Maradona. And I failed miserably. But I did, did end up being the worst player in the world's best team, the mighty Liverpool. Look at that surfboard. Get off. Look at that surfboard. Get, Get off. Thank you for spending time with us, Craig. I'm sorry that uh, you were I mean, just, just move to your left a little bit. Move. No, no. No, the no. other way. <laughs> Oh, God. Right, no, it's to go. Yeah. We've got to go. We've got to go. <laughs> Thank you, mate. We'll yeah. see you next time. Nice, Craig. Take care of yourself. For YouTube viewers, you'll find us here on a daily basis for being sports viewers uh, five days a week at this same time. We'll see you next week.